0: Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Ben and this is the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. Hey family, it's Thursday so it's time to get stuck into another hearty helping of barbecue podcast goodness. This is episode 11 of season 2, Living the Dream. In this season, I'll be chatting with some of the most successful barbecue entrepreneurs out there about the different types of businesses you can get into and what it takes to be successful. You can't have a barbecue without meat, and generally, the better the meat, the better the barbecue. One problem that we've had in Australia is getting our hands on these real barbecue cuts. Luckily, there are early adopters in the butcher scene who've recognized the meteoric growth in the real barbecue scene and are riding the front of the wave, becoming low and slow specialist butchers. Today's guest is one of these specialists. Brad is from Pure Meats Robina, a boutique low and slow specialist butcher on the Gold Coast. In this ep, Brad discusses his path into butchery and then into low and slow butchery and drops heaps of hints and techniques to help you get the most out of your meat. So grab a nice big bowl of smoked baked beans and something frosty and let's jump into the world of specialist butchery.
1: This is the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast with barbecue pitmaster Ben Arnott. How long's it been since your last confession?
0: Local products don't get much more local than Ministry of Smokes, Smoking Woods. An Australian family owned company specialising in native hardwoods as well as fruitwoods, Rod has never revealed his sources of his timber. But they do come from premium New South Wales and Queensland timber regions. I exclusively use Rod's products with Smoking Hot Confessions, and my favourites are his Ironbark and Applewood. And his Gigi Lump Charcoal is killer. Most exciting, Rod now produces his own range of pellets, including Red Wine Oak Barrel and Iron Bark. These can be used in pellet grills and in smoker boxes in other types of barbecues. They're also great in the Uni Pellet pizza ovens for a delicious combination of smoke and pizza. As an added bonus, all his pellets are sold in food grade pails so they're great for commercial operations as they can be repurposed. You can reach out to Rod on Facebook. Just search for Ministry of Smoke and shoot him a message. Brad, welcome to the confessional, mate. The first thing I have to know is, what was the last thing that you barbecued?
1: Uh, the last thing I barbecued, probably steaks and chops, uh, a couple of sausages, just a few friends around for a bar- normal barbecue, nothing too exciting. Was it uh, like a fight night or a game night or something? Or? No, just a couple of beers and just a couple of mates. It wasn't uh, nothing in particular that was going on, so...
0: And what is your preferred barbecue to use at home?
1: Uh, I've just got a normal grill. Nothing uh, nothing out of the ordinary, nothing too extreme, just a normal gas grill.
0: Rightio. And uh, what's your favorite cut to throw on there and how do you like to cook it?
1: Uh, probably steak, definitely a steak. Um, some of the, you know, I've obviously got the choice of any sort of steak that I like, which is pretty handy. Um, but a nice thick uh, rib fillet on the bone always goes well. It um, comes out pretty well, on the, especially on the barbecue, so.
0: Yeah, some of those tomahawk steaks I've seen down there that you got there are uh, pretty damn impressive.
1: No, they are. They come out really well. It, uh, they take a bit to get through, but if you have a crack at it, they do. They go well. <laughs> Mate, you got to put in the hard yards. That's it. So what's your earliest barbecue memory? As for a barbecue, it's um, – do you know what I mean? We always grew up with uh, the family having a barbecue at home or whatever, but um, the, my first sort of low and slow experience would have been um, – uh, Miami marketer with JR's. It was the first time I ever tried it and um, pretty much fell in love straight away. You know, the taste was something I've never never had, never tried, especially for the cuts that were used. I was a bit taken back. I was sort of blown away by the results that sort of come of it. So it, um, as for the low and slow, that's probably my first time I ever ate it and remembered it. So,
0: Yeah, JR is a, is definitely a master of what he does. I can't tell you how many people I've spoken to from around this region that say, my first experience was JRs and I've never looked back. So, uh, yeah, no, yeah definitely. I, I'm, I'm not surprised to hear that at all. <laughs> so what is it that um, that draws you to low and slow?
1: Um, I think it's the, the cut, the utilising the cuts that we, or well, I was taught traditionally to, uh, That was either mince and sausages and stuff like that, um, the results that they get from it, the taste, the flavours, you know, just the tenderness of it, it's, it's incredible. It, um, and obviously for us as butchers, it's we can utilise those sort of secondary cuts, or what have been known as a secondary cut, into more of a sort of a, a well sourced sort of. You know, people are after it, chasing it. They uh, and um, so that sort of it, it fascinates me. If anything else.
0: And aside from that, it has offered a bit of a new uh, sort of revenue stream for the business too, hasn't it? Because you're able to uh, sell those uh, secondary cuts as niche cuts now. So
1: definitely, yeah, absolutely. So it's uh, it's definitely opened up a, another market for us, and obviously increased our turnover and profitability in that. So it's uh, it's growing, you know, monthly, yearly. So it is. It's, it's doing well for us. Excellent so that
0: brings us to Pure Meats. So can you fill me and the listeners in on the background of Pure Meats?
1: Um, Pure Meats was sort of – well, we've been going for about 11 months now. It was first built. Um, the owner, Brad McNamara, he, uh, he opened the first uh, organic shops on the Gold Coast and ran them for about five years with um, this, this sort of beliefs and understanding to uh, source um, – Sourcing sort of quality products that have been grown and raised ethically. Um, do you know what I mean? Mainly, we've, we do follow grass-fed, um, those free-range lines of products. Um, you know, more for the health benefits, health reasons, and um, just the general flavour of most of the cuts. So in moving from, once he sold the uh, organic shops, he did move over to building a better, I suppose, newer facility to to continue that and uh you know the shop it is it's something else it's something different it's it is and it's an incredible shop to work in and also carrying those values through it's uh it's been really good
0: yeah so talking about the shop one thing i absolutely love about that is the way that you put a lot of your prep space out front for the public to see which brings a lot of the theater and the art back to butchery can you describe the layout for the listeners and explain why you went that way
1: uh, so the shop is—it's a walk-in shop, whereas most of your normal shopping centre butcher shops are, are a walk past cabinet. So we actually draw you into the into the shop, but by drawing you into the shop, we do have a main display case out the front room, where we try to do as much prep as possible, um, as in boning beef, um, sausages, even just basic rolling and stuff like that. We wanted to take away all the smoke and mirrors that can get into butchering where you know, customers don't see what is actually going on. So we try to make it as transparent as possible where we can, well the customer can see what goes on on a day-to-day basis, how it's done, why it's done like that and so on. So, and it's uh, the customers, the the response from the customers has been fantastic for it.
0: There's a bit of a movement out there at the moment for um, trying to teach kids that meat doesn't just come from a supermarket, that it actually, you know, is from animals and and, uh, you know, trying to remove that disconnect that we currently have in modern society from our food. Do you find that a lot of parents stop with their kids at those windows and point and explain and all that sort of stuff?
1: It is. Like a lot of the people that do stop and watch are actually little kids, which is great. Do you know what I mean? They've never seen anything like it. They've never uh, experienced anything like it. And um, they're fascinated by it to sit there and watch your work. They'll sit there for hours, obviously, while the parents are either doing their shopping or whatever. And, end up having to be dragged away because they just stand in there sort of stargazing at it, which is good. It's, um, you know, we can change the sort of generation of people where they can see where it comes from and that it doesn't all come out of a carton. Obviously, you know, we do try and use as much carcass meat as possible for that particular reason, so.
0: Yeah, it's a very interesting uh, swing back from... Uh, I grew up in the 80s and we were obsessed with processed foods and look at us, aren't we so clever? Look what we can do to the food with the machinery and now we're seeing society swing back the other way i mean i'd i remember growing up and friday night was always fish finger night yeah. and it was oh wow how amazing are these fish fingers yeah. and you'd and you'd get some fish fingers and you'd grill them throw them on some white bread and put some mayonnaise on it and now i think the only thing that's still you know socially acceptable to eat is the mayonnaise these <laughs> yeah. days i think that's all that's left
1: no it is it's uh you know it's definitely changing with people sort of the growing um thought of where the meat comes from, wanting to know where it comes from, you know, ethically sourced and raised, but also the health, health benefits of it, of that, obviously getting away from the processed meats and foods and stuff like that. So it is, they sort of, they do want to know where it comes from and how it's processed. So,
0: Just picking up on something that you just said there, um, ethically sourced, for listeners who might not be aware, could you explain what ethically sourced
1: means? Uh, ethically so obviously, you know, it's, um, we are processing animals to be eaten and so on, but uh, we still like to be known that they're, will know that they are raised humanely, you know, under the right conditions without being locked in the cages or um, force fed in in small areas. So obviously still out there running around, they have an enjoyable life as much as possible at, um, you know, even though what is going on and what they are being raised for, they still still looked after the whole way through.
0: And what do you find is the taste difference in the meat between uh, ethically sourced and I don't want to say non-ethically sourced, but non-ethically sourced meat.
1: I, do, I think you can taste the flavour difference. Do you know what I mean? The flavour, even the fat through it it, it, it is a different sort of flavour. Um, obviously grazing out, outside in grass and um, especially when you get into poultry and stuff like that, being able to forage around and stuff like that, it does, They obviously what uh, what the animal eats is what it tastes like. So being out and um, foraging around for grubs or whatever it might they might be, it does definitely change the flavour of it.
0: It's funny that you just said that uh, the, the, what the animals eat is what they end up tasting. Like there is a, uh, I, I don't know if you're aware of this, it's a very um, unique breed of pig that's uh, only in South Korea and they're actually called, uh, um, I'll call them poop pigs. <laughs> and what they do is it, it's one particular island just off the coast of Korea, it's uh, Jejudo Island, mm-hmm. and this is considered a delicacy. These pigs are raised only on human poop.
1: Really? Yeah. Yeah. I haven't heard of that one. <laughs> sounds interesting. Sounds interesting. I'm oh, yeah, not sure yeah, that I I'd be... don't know if I'd be uh, racing out to try some, but...
0: No, no, but I tell you what, they, they swear by it. My, my students when I was over there and the, the people I met, yeah. it is an absolute delicacy and just listening to it and what I know from growing up on farms, I was like, yeah, I, I don't think I'm going to be uh, first in line to, uh, yeah. to, to try any of that. Thank you very much.
1: <laughs> but I suppose it's different... different um, backgrounds and that they do different things it's how yeah, they're raised and stuff like that it's yeah it's not something I'd be going for though
0: no nah. no nah, I'll be I'll be giving it a skip <laughs> all right so I've I've been speaking with several teams that um, that that use your meats for competitions and they all agree that pure meats is the only place to go uh, on the coast for comp cuts so what is it about pure meats that makes it so unique
1: um, I think it's we've we've tried to source the best products that we can um, we try and stick with those sort of lines. We don't uh, venture not we don't venture out of them too long, but when, too much. But once we do find a product or a line that we do think is suitable, or we get the feedback from, we do stick with it. Um, we have a pretty good partnership with Jacks Creek, um, which we deal directly with. Which uh, you know they're a fantastic company, and, and the products that they do put out is is uh, second to none. It's the same with the pork and that the Borrodaile, the free range. Um, they have a fantastic. Uh, product and we've had great results with it. So obviously once we do sort of find a line and that, that we does work well on uh, obviously for us and and teams, we try to stick with it as much as possible, but also sort of having it cut and prepped the way that it's either supposed to be or each team individually wants it to be is, uh, you know, something we sort of go out of our way to help with. Whereas a lot of butcher shops either won't or don't understand how to. So, but... It's um, you know, it's when it comes to competition, you know, it's you don't want to be getting there on the day and it's it's not quite right. So,
0: no, absolutely not. It it uh, it, it has to be straight out of the gate every time. Keeping on that on on that competition thread, um, you you mentioned Jacks Creek before, and that just made me think of the uh, the Jacks Creek Wagyu briskets. Wagyu's all the rage on the on the comp scene at the moment. Yeah. As a butcher, when you sit there and you look at a Wagyu brisket next to a non-Wagyu brisket what's the difference? What does it look like?
1: It uh, depends on how, how high a grade you get up. So we generally carry a seven to eight, which is, it's reasonably marbled. Obviously the marbling content of it is is a big difference. Um, you do, once you cut into it, you see the difference, like it'll be marbled a lot heavier. Um, it's got a lot creamier sort of a, a, a fat, um, even the flavor of it, it does change the, the uh, profile of the taste. Um, also depends on what sort of um, brisket you're putting it up against so we we carry a black angus brisket which is a marble score of three which some of those come out pretty well marbled as well and they are side by side you can tell the difference but it's it's more once you do cook them and you get that the flavor difference the richer flavor the uh the creamier fat taste it's probably the biggest difference this
0: is jess priles and you're listening to smoking hot
1: confessions
0: If you're looking to get behind an Australian company that gets behind Australians, you need to check out Pitt Brothers Barbecue. They're a Brisbane-based business that are known for supporting our return servicemen and women. They have three pre-blended rubs and 15 individual ingredients, making it super easy for you to create your own unique taste sensation. My personal favourite is the Rosemary, Lemon and Sea Salt Rub. It's sensational on chicken wings with a sweet barbecue sauce. They also stock premium Gigi Lump Charcoal, which is grown and cooked in Queensland. While 2017 has been a big year, 2018 is going to be even bigger. They're launching a custom-designed offset smoker, three premium gravies and are working with competition teams to develop some special new rub blends such as Porkapalooza by the Smoke and Sappers. You can keep up with all the Pitt Brothers news on Facebook and Instagram by following at Pitt Bro BBQ. Right now, they're offering an exclusive deal for you Smoking Hot Confessions listeners. Head on over to pitbrothersbarbecue.com.au, that's P-I-T-B-R-O-T-H-E-R-S-B-B-Q, and use the word confessions at checkout for a 10% discount. Once again, use confessions at checkout to get your 10% discount. Alrighty, Brad, we're now in the second segment of this episode. And in segment two, I like to get into the business side of what the guests do and how they do it. So we might inspire listeners to live their dream too. So question number one for you then is going to be, how did you get into butchery?
1: Uh, Butchering for me, it started when I was pretty young. My pop pop was a butcher, which I spent a lot of time with him when I was younger, growing up on a farm. So even uh, he was a butcher, but gave it away. Um, And obviously living off the farm, still done all his own meat. So I sort of used to tinker around with him and pretend like I was, knew what I was doing and absolutely loved it. So that's, that's how I got into it, um, sort of started my apprenticeship, uh, moved up through shops, um, worked in avatars um, and then sort of uh, moved on from there. You know, I moved back into shops. Um, I moved up from Victoria when I was younger. And uh, to to Queensland, obviously the Gold Coast, and it completely changed the way that I did or worked in shops. Um, coming from little two or three man shops into big factories and so on, it's it has, it's grown me as a as a butcher and really taught me a lot, which is fantastic. So now seeing Pop come up and sort of have a look at what I've accomplished and achieved and that it's it's a good feeling.
0: I was going to say that's that's got to feel great. Yeah, it is. So have you found like a a difference in the way butchery is done in Melbourne to to Queensland? Is there like a, like regional variances in cuts or anything like that?
1: Not so much cuts. Obviously, names and that are different, but there's coming from the country in that there's not as much, like I never grew up doing value-added and stuff like that, like uh, pastries or these you know quicker things, quicker um, meal plan, um, products, which is something that I've learned to do up here. Down home, it was sort of running a meal, sort of chops, snags, um steaks and that sort of thing. That's what I grew up sort of doing. But it has. It's over the time obviously people want have less time to to cook, proper meals and that. They've moved into the value added side of things and that's something that I've had to learn to move with. So
0: do you mean like the, the pre-made stir fries and all yeah, that sort of stuff? Stuff
1: like that. You know, I mean when I was when I was doing my apprenticeship, we never did any of that sort of stuff. I think we had some honey soy spare ribs and a bit of black bean barbecue steak. That was about the most adventurous we got. <laughs> so it's uh it's definitely been a bit of a difference and a change.
0: That's fantastic. So, how would one get into butchery these days if there's people out there listening going, this sounds cool, I want to do this?
1: Um, you bet the best opportunity is just to uh, either start off as a casual or a clean up. That's what I always did. or was cleaning up after work and um, obviously got sick of school and sort of hit the boss up and uh, took it on from there. But they generally just to, uh, to get into an apprenticeship or something like that is you just got to keep asking or trying. So, it's probably the easiest way.
0: Is it like, um, like say, an electrical apprenticeship where there's like a study component at TAFE as well?
1: Yeah. So there's all, all the bookwork and that, obviously with the hygiene and safety beside, behind it, it's a, there is quite a lot of uh, TAFE work and book work behind it. Um, obviously, you know, you can't just go in there and cut it up. Everything has to be done properly and um, hygienically and that because it doesn't take much for things to go wrong and obviously, you know, potential to make people sick. So you have to be very careful.
0: Mm. Yeah, the... I guess that the potential is there for things to go wrong in uh, and, and quickly too. So Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, mate, can you take me on a walkthrough of a day in the life of Brad the
1: Butcher? Probably st- it starts pretty early. Generally get up around 4.30, quarter to five. In in work, it's uh, quarter to six. We start at six and then obviously from there it's set up for the day. Um, we've got a pretty big cabinet, which has to be uh, stocked redressed you know obviously presenting it to look the best way it can which takes you know two or three hours it's uh obviously presentation is everything in butchering if it doesn't look good you know it's nobody's really going to want to buy it. it doesn't matter how good you tell them it is so it is that's sort of our biggest part of the day of the morning um and then from there on do you know what i mean we depending on the type of day it is or what day of the week it is we'll obviously uh prep for the next day or or the next few days um Right through the week and that is, is mainly prepping that Because we do get, we get wiped out on the weekends We do over half our turnover on Saturday and Sunday So it takes us sort of four or five days to prep for it all And then coming into the weekend, she's all gone by Sunday And, and um, start again But that sort of takes up most of the day And then obviously start, there's a lot of clean up Do you know what I mean? It's um, Cleaning is a big part of the job as well So every afternoon's clean up And then we knock off at six o'clock so generally 12-hour day. Gets, gets a bit much after a while, but you get used to it.
0: Yeah. One of the things that we're seeing a lot on the comp scene is we're seeing um, more and more uh, ladies get involved, which is absolutely fantastic. Are you seeing that trend in butchery as well? Are there more ladies getting, in, uh, getting into butchery?
1: Um, we, we've got quite a, quite a few counter girls in that um, do come to do work for us. As far as apprentices and that, there is is a few coming through and that. I haven't actually worked with a female butcher myself, but um, there is quite a few about there. Um, In saying that, it's nothing against that we wouldn't have one in the shop. We just haven't had the opportunity to put one on. But we do have quite a few girls in that that do serve and uh, obviously do crumbing and stuff like that that um, they're fantastic with the customers. So they are, there's definitely a spot for them in the shop. Do you know what I mean? They can have that personal touch that uh, some of the boys just can't seem to seem to manage. But no, there's, there is quite a few in, in, the, in the butchering. Um, I've seen quite a few around the coast and that. So it is, it's, they're nice. starting to shift.
0: Yeah, it's great to see that, to see that trend carrying across. Yeah. Um, so what sort of people do you think would be suited to becoming low and slow specialist butchers?
1: Uh, so definitely somebody who's got a flair for um, detail do you know what I mean especially with a lot of these cuts they, they're quite specifically how they've got to be cut and stuff do you know what I mean it's uh, somebody that's got pride in their work also somebody that um, you know enjoys the cooking side of things is always a bonus because we do have a lot of customers that come in that either don't know how to prep or cut or cook um, and they are often asking us for advice and stuff so if you do know how to cook and that on that sort of things it's definitely a massive Massive help. so
0: That's great. So I would imagine that there'd be um, quite a lot of heavy lifting involved as well. So people that are out there thinking about it, do they need to give consideration to um, their physical state?
1: It is, yeah, definitely. There's a lot of lot of lifting. Do you know what I mean? Because we use uh, a lot of carcass meat, do you know, the average carcass quarter is between 40 and 50 kilos. So it is quite physical. Even on a day-to-day basis, just your general work is is pretty physical. And being on your feet... Days is a massive part, so it is, you know, it's a it does take it out of you if you're unfit or uh, a bit overweight.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'd imagine if you were overweight, it wouldn't be long before you no, weren't overweight no, anymore. <laughs> we, we, we get
1: them down pretty trim after a <laughs> while. <Yeah. all.
0: laughs> I'll bet, I'll bet. So, um, when did Pure Meats make the decision to pivot into being a low and slow specialist?
1: Uh, it was just before we opened, do you know what I mean? There was, we did see a, a big market available. Um, obviously with um, on the Gold Coast and that A few people are sort of t- are doing it but we thought that also being a new shop that we'd sort of push into it as hard as we could and um, al- also having the uh, the contacts through Jack's Creek and stuff like that we uh, we decided to run with it down that line so it's um, it's prob- probably probably uh, along with opening the shop we did we did decide to go with it so
0: ah excellent okay so could you just expand a bit more on how you actually um sort of developed that low and slow angle you, you said you reached out to contact so was it uh, like networking based
1: yeah so obviously once once we decided that we had to do it um we went in did quite a bit of research and obviously the right cuts and the cuts that are mostly used and obviously trying to find the best um cuts out there to what people are after so i think the hardest thing for us was getting our name out there that we do actually stock it and supply it and stuff without um Without sort of wasting too much product in the meantime. But it's it, it took a little bit, but obviously after we sort of started reaching out to people like yourself um, and a few others, it, it kicked off pretty quickly and come along nicely.
0: Yeah, lovely. So what's been the, uh, the biggest challenge in this process and how have you overcome it?
1: Um, obviously, sort of getting our name out there was one of the biggest, um, but also sort of Finding and uh, the best products and consistency in the products is always a hard one. Um, trying to get uh, suppliers to give you the right specs or the specs that you're after is often uh, a big, a big thing. But uh, obviously, we've we've sort of overcome that, and um, we sort of we've got a pretty good understanding between our suppliers now. It works well. So,
0: and what's been the biggest success you've had, and to what do you attribute that?
1: Probably our biggest success is obviously seeing the teams that come through, obviously um, supplying and sponsoring yourself in Smoking Hot uh, smart fires. that uh, took our third in um, the port. That was, you know, for us, it was fantastic considering that we supplied the meat, do you know what I mean? Although you boys did all the work, it's, uh, do you know what I mean, it's it's good for us and it, um, we we're pretty proud of what happened. But just sort of seeing the way that's taken off and how... Um, you know, the results that sort of teams have gotten through our, with our products, it's been a massive achievement for us.
0: Yeah, I, I think that the results really do speak for themselves. And that, that's reflective of the, of the hard work that you were just talking about that you've been doing. You've been doing all that preparation and that self-development and the learning and, uh, and consulting with, uh, with teams and in pe- people in industry and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that's um, great to see all that uh, come together. So what are some of the hidden issues that you've had to contend with?
1: Um, obviously, specs not coming in right. Do you know what I mean? is a massive thing. It's, um, obviously, once you people start going and buying full briskets and that, they get pretty picky with it, which I can understand. Um, so obviously getting the specs and that right. Um, having it trimmed right and obviously being able to put it out with uh, so people either at home or on teams aren't sort of wasting too much going home and trimming it up there. Um, excessively. So that's probably been the hardest thing is sort of, yeah.
0: Right. One of the questions that I've been uh, curious of is um, when comp cuts are cut, there tends to be quite a bit of wastage. What happens to that wastage?
1: It depends on what it is. Most of the time we can either use it for uh, sausages. Um, it's probably our biggest thing. Like we have, a, we sell about half a ton of sausages a week. So we are always sort of chasing trim in that um but it's and especially off the briskets and stuff like that it's it's great meat that can go into there obviously once you get into the too fatty products and that it's just discarded but most of it is you know we utilize what we can as best we can but it's not all of it can be used so
0: yeah i i like to keep my uh just the offcuts from the trimming that i do here at home and uh, just recently, I ran a whole bunch of um, organic brisket offcuts through just a cheap little Aldi mincer, yep. and just throw it into spaghetti and stuff like that, and it is just phenomenal.
1: Yeah, oh, it is definitely. Do you know, in mean? your brisket and stuff like that, it's it's got a good flavour to it, just as it is as a mince, or even through sausages, comes out pretty good. Even burgers, burgers have got, uh, you know, brisket burgers always come out well.
0: Definitely. So, given everything that we've just discussed, how would you rate the profession of being a low and slow specialist butcher?
1: Oh, pretty high. I enjoy the job as it is. So, it's always, and see people come in and they show you pictures and that of the products that they've bought and cooked at home and that and telling you how good it is, it's a pretty good feeling. Do you know what I mean? It um, lets, lets you know that you're doing something right, which is always good. You're listening to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast with barbecue pitmaster Ben Arnott.
0: Big thanks go out to Jagged Wood Fired for helping me bring you this episode. Buying a smoker can be confusing. Something for low and slow, something for roasting, a pizza oven, what about baking? The Jagged Wood Fired smoker does all of these things. The question is how? First, the entire smoker is fully insulated. The firebox is insulated with kiln grade bricks and there are more on the cooking chamber floor doubling as a pizza stone. The cooking chamber is then insulated with a six-centimeter or two-and-a-half-inch insulation blanket. This means that the Jagged can get up to 600 degrees Fahrenheit in under 30 minutes, sit at low and slow temperatures using very little fuel, and will even sit well under 200 Fahrenheit for cold smoking. Jagged wants to make sure you have a very happy new year, and so until the end of December 2017, they're offering an exclusive discount for you Smoking Hot Confessions podcast listeners. Use the code word CONFESSIONS at checkout if buying online, or quote it when dealing with them direct for 15% off your purchase price. Head on over to jaggedoutdoorovens.com, spelled J-A-G-R-D, to learn more. All Brad, we're now into segment three of this uh, awesome episode, and this is our listener questions section. So I've got a bunch of questions here that, that uh, people have rung up. They've, uh, they're dying to know these answers from a specialist butcher such as yourself. Hi, Jason from Stantop. I have a question from Brad. Which part of animals are mostly overlooked? Which of them should I be cooking with? Righto. Thank you.
1: Bye. Hey, Jason. Um, as far as overlooked cuts and that uh, for the low and slow, it's definitely um, there's a couple of available um, on your beef side of things like your picanha and your tri-tip are most very often uh, not known about, which um, you get a great product of them, especially on the uh, on the barbecue. Um, once you get into your lamb and stuff, neck fillet, um, is a big part, which is you come from your full, um, your whole shoulder. Most people go with just the, uh, the, the shoulder blade piece of the shoulder, but once you get the neck fillet, which is actually the sort of inner term, uh, a scotch fillet of lamb, do you know what I mean? So, which shreds apart really nice. You get a great flavor from it. Um, as far as a pork, pork is sort of. I think everybody's sort of covered most of them. They always, but uh, just about any end of the pig is sort of, it always comes out well. So, but basically, you just want something that's sort of going to hold up, hold up well. you one of those muscles that don't, that do a lot of work. They're generally the best ones to sort of use on the, uh, for the low and slow. If you get uh, something that's too tender, it does, it just, it falls apart. So, it's, you don't get a very good product.
0: Excellent. Very nice. I love um, a bit of pork neck.
1: Yeah. Always goes well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've I've got a beautiful Cuban marinade that yeah. I like to do with it and then just uh, basically reverse sear it in the Weber.
1: Yeah. Oh. Comes out well. Oh, comes out gold. <laughs> so good. Hi, it's uh, Chris here from Narrabore, New South Wales. I'm just asking Brad, saying, day, how you going? Just want to find out about how to approach. I live in a small town and we've only got uh, like two major supermarket chains and one single butcher there. How to approach him in getting some decent cuts or the way to go about it to... um. Get into stock, some that I can be able to use in the long slow. That's all. Um, that'd be great. Uh, keep up with the good show with the podcast. Thank you. Bye. Hey, Chris. It's, uh, it's one of those things that I suppose you do have to sort of be gentle with. Some butchers don't like to change, and it can be uh, sort of hard to. They don't. I'd, a lot of butchers don't really like to be told, I suppose, how to cut things differently. Um, but there is a few little tutorial videos out there on how to cut things like your, uh, you know, your St. Louis ribs or something like that. That's probably your best bet um, is to either take something like that into him or sort of just build that relationship with him first before you sort of start throwing it at him. But um, that's sort of one of the ways that I found or learnt a lot about it was uh, on YouTube and that how things were cut, especially. Um, for stuff that we've already cut differently, to sort of do it a different way, it was uh, it did take a little bit, but uh, most of your supermarkets and that you're not really you won't be able to change the way they're cut because they don't actually cut on site very much anymore. So I'd say your yeah, supermarkets are out. But if you sort of build that relationship with a butcher first on a personal level and then sort of try and approach him about it, it's probably your best bet. Good day, Brad. Benton from Newcastle here. I was wondering what are the advantages of buying meat from a butcher versus from the supermarket? Cheers. Hey, Benton. Um, obviously, the, the biggest advantage is um, supporting your local small businesses is always a big thing. Um, it uh, definitely helps the rest of the community and stuff. But as far as quality and that goes, you know, your butcher will generally stock a lot better or uh, more broader sort of range of um, products and obviously more willing to sort of get in and help you with uh, different cuts and different styles of cuts that you are looking for, whereas your, your supermarket, they're sort of more interested in just banging out the usual sort of stuff, So, it, um, it, but it's always good to support local business and help out your butcher.
0: Plus, as you just said before, supermarkets don't really cut on site anymore, so yeah. there's a much higher chance of getting what you want from a butcher as opposed to from a supermarket.
1: Yeah, exactly, definitely. Do you know what I mean? Your butcher will sort of cut on site as he goes. Whereas nowadays, most, of, uh, most supermarkets are cut in big factories and then sort of shipped out. So,
0: If I can add my own question on, on top of Benton's question, yep. do supermarkets use similar suppliers to butcher shops generally? or So I, I guess what I'm asking is, will there be a difference in quality of meat between a supermarket and an independent butcher?
1: Yes and no. Like The, the difference in quality might, there might not be a difference when it's live but it's the way that supermarkets process their meat that changes the meat completely. Um, they obviously uh, process in hot bone, so it doesn't get that time to set up. And obviously, you know, through dry aging and that you should to understand um, by the time it, as it sits and hangs and breaks down and starts to break down the tissues and stuff, the flavor intenses and that. Well, if you don't do that or give it a chance to sort of settle and um, you are boning and processing it while it's hot, it does, it completely changes the meat, the flavour of the meat, even the tenderness. So it's not so much the quality of the starting product, it's how it's gone about the process to get it to the end result that it sort of does ruin the meat. So when you say
0: hot boning, you literally mean breaking down the carcass while the, and while the carcass is still warm. So like yep. immediately after the animal's been killed.
1: Yep, pretty much. So it goes from one room to another and they bone it and out straight away. So for instance, ours, ours are generally processed um, one day, they'll be hung for a day or two at the abattoirs and we'll get it the, another day. We'll generally hang it for another, up to a week before we touch it. So it does, it gets that chance to harden, set, um, start to break down and all the tissue and that starts to break down into it. that's where you get that tenderness. Um, so it does it. If it doesn't sort of get to that point, it's, um, it's already t- still tight when it's, especially being hot boned, still tight, um, the fat doesn't set and settle and all that sort of stuff. So it does, it completely changes the flavour or texture of it.
0: Oh, fascinating. I had no idea about that.
1: Yeah, so it is. It's not necessarily that the starting product is uh, a lesser grade that uh, most shops are using. Um, It's the process that it goes through to the end result that sort of does ruin some of the meat.
0: Very cool. Good to know. Mm.
1: Hi, Brad. Josh from Scone here. I was wondering if you found much difference in meat that come from different regions, i.e., beef from Queensland versus beef from Tasmania. Thanks, mate. How are you, Josh? Uh, there's definitely a massive difference in in different areas, uh, different seasonal times, or different times of the year. You know, you do get a, a, a different product from different areas. Um, obviously, Tasmania or Victoria have great products. It doesn't uh, most of the year round. Um, once it does get too cold down there, sometimes they can cover too much coverage or have too much fat on them, so it. Um, it does not as good as what it normally is. But just because of the, the, I suppose, the lush area that it is down there, they've got so much to eat and stuff like that. Once you get up into Queensland, the heat and um, sort of some of the more barren land, it it is more difficult to sort of either fatten or continue to fatten them um, without the supplement of grain. So um, definitely makes a massive difference um, to where it is at. Obviously what the conditions, temperature, um, even what uh, they're available to eat is definitely um, changes the end result. So it's definitely a massive. We we source quite a bit from Tasmania and Victoria for that reason. So,
0: hey Brad, Bree from the Gold Coast here. I love the organic beef that you have in your store. Why is organic preferable to regular beef? Thanks.
1: How are you, Brie? The uh, I suppose the, the the biggest benefit of organic beef is. Um, is just the, the vitamins and the health side of things. Do you know what I mean? Eating, um, not having in touch of grains or anything like that, it does make a massive difference. So obviously the vitamins and mineral side of things it is what sort of makes that healthy alternative. Um, and obviously with the, the ethically raised, obviously with organic beef and stuff like that, it's always gonna be outside. It's always gonna be well looked after. Um, and it does, it change, gives you a better flavor and uh, stuff like that. So, but just knowing that it's well looked after and and uh, what it has eaten and stuff like that, it does It gives you more of a health side of things. Is is more so for the organics? Hi, Brad. This is Bunner from Bundaberg. I was wondering what what makes you decide on what's a great sausage flavour, and how do you decide each week what best sausages to go put in the cabinet? Cheers. Thanks. Happy barbecuing. Bye. How are you, Bronte? Um, as far as sausages, I suppose it's uh, it's a bit of uh, fine tuning and playing around with it it's once you once we sort of come up with an idea it takes us a couple of weeks to sort of play around with it and get it right it's um, it, it is a little bit of an art and sort of uh, technique to it but it's it's good fun it's it's more sort of creativity than anything else um, as for what goes ends up in the cabinet it's sort of what we like and then obviously we generally do taste testings and that what the customer likes obviously what goes in the counter is what sort of does sell best so but, um, yeah, it's generally a bit of playing around, so we, one of the boys might come up with an idea or a theory. Some of them work, some of them don't. There's quite a few that don't, but it's, um, it's generally just playing around with it and getting the taste and flavours right and uh, making it to a, a sausage that's going to be able to, once it get, does get home, that people are going to enjoy it. So it's uh, just a more technique and, and experimentation, really.
0: Now you've actually got a sausage bar built into the front of the shop, which is something that I've never seen before. Do you, do you use that for like for a lot of your market research into
1: different flavours of sausages? Yeah, we do. So we, we make custom sausages. Um, so the customer can obviously come up with a either most of the time we make them for people with allergies and stuff like that. Um, they they still lo- love sausages, but it's whether they might be allergic to egg gluten. Do you know what I mean, or so on. Some people, you know, even garlics and stuff like that. So we have a range of herbs and spices and that. Uh, we can make them up on the spot either to their recommendations. They might already have a recipe um, or we can sort of help them in the system in a recipe line that we sort of can do with that. So it does, it works well. We use a lot of that. Um, we use it quite quite a lot. And um, it's also good for kids that don't eat veggies and stuff like that. You can hide veggies in your sausages or it, uh, it's it's – being pretty popular, which is good. I love that
0: idea. That's how I actually get my son to eat uh, to, <laughs> to eat veggies. I um I whiz them up into sausage rolls.
1: Yeah, it's a, generally the easiest way. They don't know what they're eating. It's uh it generally goes down a bit quicker.
0: Yeah, solves a lot of arguments, that's for sure.
1: Yeah. Hi, is Andrew from
0: Ipswich. With the growth of low and slow, how many cuts have been saved from the coming mints?
1: Thanks. How are you, Andrew? It's uh there's quite a few. It's um. Obviously, it's changed the way that I've, I've, from when I first started my apprenticeship that has now gone into, but um, more so in the beef side of things. Um, do you know what I mean? it's Before, you know, probably eight years ago, I didn't even know what a short rib was. Up until, um, you know, a couple of years back now, we can't get enough of them. So it's mainly your briskets and your short ribs and stuff like that on your beef that's definitely gone into it. But also, your porks and stuff. Um, where they used to cut shoulder chops and that out of a lot of the shoulder, they now it's it's sold as Boston butts or your collar butts and things like that. So it's definitely changed a lot of the cuts, the way they're used and how they're used. Um, we sometimes scratch it around for trim for mince or sausages, but it's uh we soon find it. But it's good. It's sort of to utilise those other cuts that were used previously for either sausages or uh, mince and that that now do go into a I suppose a better home.
0: Yeah, for sure. I I remember growing up and our local butcher, he would give us lamb shanks to give the dogs. Yeah. And now it's like $20 a kilo uh, gourmet stuff because now we know how to cook them.
1: Exactly. So it was previously known as a plain bland sort of meal. People have sort of learned how to cook them you know, jazzed them up a bit, and it does, they come out fantastic, so it does, those sort of cuts have definitely changed, you know, I get told all the time that uh, shanks used to be given away to the dog, and how come they're so expensive, but it is, you know, it's a, for the sort of cut that it is nowadays, and how people know how to cut them, uh, use them, it's, um, it's definitely worth it.
0: Yeah, it's basic business principles, supply and demand. <laughs> yeah, exactly, that's right.
1: you <laughs> are with Dan from Country Boys Barbecue, and you're listening to Smoking Hot Confessions.
0: You've been absolutely fantastic today, and we're almost at the end of the episode. But before I let you go, I do have one last question. Can you share with us three pieces of advice for people looking to become a low and slow specialist?
1: Uh, Yeah, definitely. It's obviously sourcing the right product is a big thing. Sourcing the right product with consistency, um, knowing what your customers uh, want is is a massive thing as well. Um, and also sort of knowing how to cook it or or being at least sort of somewhat um, understanding of how it's trimmed and prepped and stuff like that so it can be cooked. Um, obviously, everybody's trying to get into it now. Everybody's starting to get into it, but they sort of don't have that guidance of how it's done or um, which way or how to start. So definitely having a knowledge on how to cook cook or trim and stuff like that is makes a massive difference. But um, definitely sort of, finding suppliers with consistent product that's uh, you know a good product that it sort of util- can be utilized for those sort of things is, is, is definitely a big part. Excellent.
0: All righty mate, um, it is my great privilege to turn the confessional over to you now so please feel free to give whatever shout outs you like and tell people where they can track you down on the internet.
1: Thanks Ben. It's, um, look, I just like to thank you for having me here. You know it's been a great experience. It's, um, I'd just like to thank everybody that's sort of out there listening for rang up for the questions and stuff like that. There've been some fantastic questions. Um, and everybody that sort of does already support us that are, um, along the way, That's a few teams in that, that we do sort of supply that have had the, uh, you know, the results that they've sort of come through. It's been fantastic to watch them sort of grow as a team, but if you do want to, uh, catch up with us or have a chat, come in. We're down in, uh, the Rubina town center, um, in the kitchens area, uh, next to, uh, the earth markets there anytime you sort of even if you just want to float past have a chat say good um we're always about and keen for a talk so don't be shy and come in
0: and you're also on on facebook as pure meats robina
1: yeah absolutely and you've got a website as well what's that web address uh fantastic Mate, I just want
0: to thank you so much for taking time out of your busy week to actually physically drop by the confessional and spend this afternoon talking Q with me. I'm really sorry about the kids' pool party next door that's been putting us off all afternoon. Um, it's, a, it's a hot day here on the Gold Coast today, and uh, those kids have certainly been uh, making a bit of racket. But I, I really appreciate all the wisdom that you've shared with us here today, and I'm sure the
1: listeners do too. So just uh, thank you so much. No, thanks, mate. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, family, how great was that? It's fascinating to hear about the industry from an insider, especially one as passionate and knowledgeable as Brad. You can follow Brad and Pure meets Robina on Facebook, which is where you can check out a killer video of Brad doing his thing at the shop. 1.8 million viewers can't be wrong. Coming up next Thursday, I'll be having a great chat with Ricky from Bully Barbecue. We've all dreamt of telling the boss to shove it, grabbing our barbecues and heading out on our own, and this is exactly what Ricky did. He is now most definitely living the dream, spending his time traveling up and down the east coast of Australia delivering barbecue classes all along the way. If a never-ending barbecue road trip sounds good to you, make sure you listen in. Big thanks and much gratitude go out to this episode's sponsors, Ministry of Smoke, Pitt Brothers Barbecue and Jagged Wood-Fired Smoker Ovens. Their support makes this project possible. I've put their links in the episode description, so please click on through to their sites to claim those awesome offers for you loyal Smoking Hot Confessions listeners. If you have a message that you'd like included in this podcast to get out to a barbecue-mad audience, send me an email directly at ben at smokinghotconfessions.com and let's have a conversation. Shoutouts also have to go to those who called in and left questions for Brad. Andrew, Benton, Bronwyn, Chris, Jason, and Josh. It was awesome to find out what was on your mind, and I know Brad had a great time answering them. If you'd like more, I have published a free ebook that is just for you. Head on over to smokinghotconfessions.com slash ebooks to get your copy now. I've put a link in the description. Also, head on over to Facebook and join the Smoking Hot Confessions community and let's continue the conversation. It's a group dedicated to teaching, learning, and sharing all about barbecue and all the BS is left at the door. Everybody has a place in the Smoking Hot Confessions community. Finally, however you're listening to this episode, please make sure you subscribe and leave a review. This way, the episode will be delivered to more people's devices by the men in black as they hunt down intergalactic aliens here to steal our briskets. Until next time, take care of each other and keep on queuing. Thanks for listening to the
1: Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. Head on over to smokinghotconfessions.com for recipes, tips, and Ben's own confessions.